Good afternoon, good morning to some, depending on when you're listening to the Browner and Lawhead podcast on the Mightier 1090 ESPN. I am John Browner, joined by my co-host, comedian extraordinaire, world-renowned known, microphone fiend, as they like to say in the hip-hop industry, Jason Lawhead, here on the Mightier 1090. What up? What up, what up bro? It's a sh- you talk about a short week. We always have a short week, but this is yeah. like such a short week. Right? Like yeah. Yesterday, today, hey, we're already off. <laughs> hey, goodbye. So we have. <laughs> it's we like have when a comic people- comes out and's like, how's everybody doing tonight? Hey, all, all right, right that's my time. I got to get out of here. <laughs> that's yeah, our week laugh this week. Yeah. Yeah. So for people who don't know you're new to the show, you just happen to catch us for the first time. Thank you for taking the time to listen to But we are Monday through Wednesday, 6 to 7 p.m. right here on the Mighty 1090 ESPN. And this is not your normal sports show because we don't just sit around and cover box scores and things of that nature. I don't think anybody does that anymore. But we kind of go where the stories take us. On the show today, we're going to break down where we are at in the Padres season because they have an off day celebrating Manny Machado's birthday after a rough two-game series against the Mariners. The Browns have finally got rid of the former number one pick, Baker Mayfield. We'll definitely get into that. But I want to talk about something that it's a story, but I wish it wasn't a story. We are going to, I guess the better way to start this conversation off is to say, anytime history is made for minorities in this country, it is a good thing. It shows progress. It shows that we are moving forward in ways that we should have done a long time ago, but for whatever reason, we have not. The fact that we had a first black president was a huge deal, even though it should not have been because we should have had one before. The fact that we haven't had a woman president and Hillary Clinton was the first viable option for that was a big deal, even though it shouldn't be because women are just as good at politics as men are. The fact that gay marriage became legal was a big thing, even though same-sex love has been occurring since the beginning of time. So to have a black general manager in any sport, well, I'm not going to say any sport because basketball has got a, a, a good number of them, but football, I think it's got two. Hockey now has one. His name is Mike Greer because I held it up on the paper because I wanted to get it right. His name is Mike Greer, and he general manages for the San Jose Sharks. I don't know much about this man. He played some hockey. He obviously was a front office member, and now he's got the opportunity of a lifetime if you're a hockey player. But what it shows in the general manner position, there's certain positions in sports where when minorities get opportunities, you have to now dispel the idea that the black person, I'll speak about black people particularly in this conversation black people aren't smart enough to build the organization because that's the not because people always wonder why this isn't a thing why 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 it's because there is a stigma around the intelligence of african-americans to this day in sports you are good enough to be the quarterback when tony dungy played lovey smith in the super bowl that was a big thing that two black head coaches that faced each other in the super bowl for the first time, because it was a belief that black people can play the sport, not the smartest positions, be a quarterback, but they can play the game, not the smart portions of the game. They can play the game, they can't coach it. They can play the game, they can't organize the team. They can't general manage it. They can't build the team. 
And so for this to now be occurring in hockey, a sport where there are very little black people, not little as in short guys, just not, it doesn't exist. <laughs> it's great to see. I'm happy that this thing has happened, but I hate that this is a story because I would hope that in 2022, we would be past things like this being headline news, but it is. But I would dare you, Google search it and see what comes up. Yeah, I Google search. We talked about it before the show, and I, I was not aware of the hiring. Um, I don't keep my ear very close to the ice. NHL hockey. <laughs> ice cold. The reason I left Ohio <laughs> was to get away from uh, that kind of weather. But no, and you know, I mean, I'll, I'll dabble in watching um, the Stanley Cup, certain games when they're on and they're convenient because I do enjoy that type of hockey like i said i don't know all the rules i couldn't break down hockey like i can the other major three sports that we usually talk about and even some other individual sports like golf and tennis i know pretty well because i've always just enjoyed certain players and followed it enough whereas hockey is more of just like wow i'm kind of just watching you know um a road race in a way it's kind of like you know car racing i don't know anything about that but i know enough and it's funny because the four years that LeBron was in Miami, it was such such a soul crushing experience that I actually watched a lot of hockey. I was I was so turned off to the NBA at that point. I couldn't watch LeBron. I mean, I mean, I, it was funny when LeBron was in Miami. I was rooting for those Pacer teams that were loaded with Roy Hibbert and 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 you know Frank Paul Vogel coaching with Paul George and Danny Granger and those guys and, and George Hill because they would take them. They would kind of be the only David team that, that could kind of match up with them and go long with them in a series. And I remember thinking I'm rooting harder for the Pacers right now than I ever did for the Cavs when we had LeBron. But to get back to the hockey talk, yeah, I, I Googled the guy when you were like Mike Greer. I was like, that just sounds like a fake name. I Googled the guy. He doesn't – if you Google Mike Greer, like you're going to find a construction guy in Florida, a real estate agent in New Zealand, and somebody's <laughs> obituary before you even get to the guy that played hockey for 15 years. Now, when you look at him, 15-year career in the NHL, that's nothing to shake a stick at. Boston University, one of the greatest college hockey programs. That I know enough because I know dumb stuff about sports. I know that Boston University is one of the greatest hockey schools that there are. Um, so, I mean, this guy, uh, highly educated and interesting that he comes from the city of Detroit, born and raised, and, you know, Getting back to the, just to address the beginning of your comments, and you're right about all those things, the first time for this and the first time for this, and it was too long and it was too long and it was too long. And, you know, what the NFL has is a structural, you know, socioeconomic type of thing where this is an old white family owned business on many levels for still deep rooted and they'll be, you know, damned if they have whatever that isn't right. look like them running the family right business whereas in the nba yes it's 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 gotten and it's evolved and it's progressed because the game is brought to you by by the african-american man i mean like that's where the game has been successful it has you know you know so thank the lord that that's made that kind of progress i think this is more of a then you know, and um, you know, it's in a first in America. I think this is more of a cultural thing 
that, you know, was it too long? That might be that might be something that's hard to argue because hockey's such a cultural sport that comes from the people that play it, which are mostly Canadians that started it. And then a lot of the Eastern European countries, Norwegian, Scandinavian countries. And um, I, it's amazing, you know, and it's, it's great, but I think it speaks more of, you know, the acceptances of cultures is in a big point than just more of a systematic, this country hasn't done this or, or whatnot, where you can cite that and point to that in so many other instances that we brought up in so many other sports. And when it comes to title nine and women and minorities and all of that stuff, but this is really cool because I think it really just kind of affirms that, you know, uh, culturally we can blend you know, more than just what it is, is it, is it at a job? Is it the first person to do this in this um, profession? Or, you know, this is just something that's great that hockey has said, you know, um, it's almost like hockey's actually asking, bring us more, bring us more yes. know, black players, Diversity. bring us more, bring us more athletes, bring us more kids that were born in Detroit. Because I, I got a question for you. Browner, mm-hmm. all the brothers you've ever known in your life, right? All the dudes you grew up with or born with or came across in, in your walks of life from college to living in San Diego to back to Chicago. How many do you know that ever put skates on and went out as a youth and played hockey and was into hockey and couldn't wait to go back to the ice rink and be with 15 white dudes and a white coach? And and couldn't wait to get the gear on and go slap it around and keep playing hockey because truly that's the that's the the young black kid that wants to go in and play hockey. That's pretty much has to be his experience from the start. Is I can't wait to go I, back out and play with fifteen dude white dudes that are I'm the only guy on the team. I did never, you know anyone? I I honestly can tell you I know zero people. And I mean, big fat circle, zero black guys. And my, growing up and on the south side of Chicago, because here's the deal, too, by the way. Hockey made no investment in the inner city of, well, of promoting their game. And so because they didn't, we never watched it. The Blackhawks, Jeremy Roenick, like the Blackhawks had good teams when I was in high school or in, I think middle school. They had good, solid teams, but they didn't. But they didn't have any black players, and so we didn't right. have the we didn't have any reason to watch it. And where I grew up, because Michael Jordan was playing, Walter and, Payton and Michael Jordan was in your right. Town. And so we had these. Frank Thomas was playing for the White Sox. Sammy Frank Sosa Thomas. was playing for the Cubs. We had this cultural connection. Andre Dawson. There's always been a cultural connection in Chicago to certain sure. sports. And so when you ask that, it's very funny that you ask that question because there is no cultural connection to hockey right. because the Attempt was never made. The investment was never given. And so you never got any return on said investment. And so I think that's a because I think that there is a black kid like Popeye Jones's son was, I think he was like the number two pick in uh, in the NHL draft. Six, four, huge young man who loves hockey. I think if hockey invested in the black community, they would find the Tiger Woods of hockey. They would find the black Wayne Gretzky. They were fine to black Ovechkin. They just don't. Well, I think, you know, and I'll speak for myself here. 
And I think a lot of even even white people in America could say this too. Um, you know, hockey invests where it's it needs to really, and where yes. it's popular. Yeah, and it, it I wouldn't invests argue with in that. the rural parts of Canada, and it, and it branches off. And if and if a hockey team, Michigan, in NH, Minnesota, NHL, Minnesota, Upper Peninsula, Wisconsin. cold weather. No doubt, but it's very rural to it all. So there's a lot of white America. And that, that's what I find interesting about this specific thing because we grew up in Cleveland, no hockey team. We were never exposed to it. They didn't invest in our area. We didn't have anybody to look up to. I didn't care about hockey other than knowing about Gretzky and knowing about Lemieux because I watched Sports Center like, uh, you know, uh, an addicted kid watching sports. So. But I, I think if you look across, you know, and that's what's interesting in the last 20 or so years, there's these franchises now in Tampa, in Phoenix, in places where, hey, all that was ever being exposed to those white Americans were football and NASCAR, right? Mm-hmm. Hockey wasn't going down there. They weren't invested in any of that. You couldn't ask. A, so this is what I mean when it's more cultural than just kind of this American kind of, well, it's been this long finally. I think right now, like I said, Yes, they didn't invest, they, but they didn't invest in a lot of areas of, of white enthusiasm when it comes to sports for a long time until they just sent NHL teams there to be successful. Um, and I think that this is what's really cool about this moment. This moment, to me, feels like the NHL is saying, without really abruptly saying it, because it's like, hey, we can't force you to come play this sport or get interested in this sport you know, we're trying, we're on TV as much as we can. We try to be popular with the American, uh, uh, you know, um, society and and, and sports and, and compete in between all of those other things that are popular. But I feel like they're saying, come, we, 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 we want you as players. We want to take you as players. And, and once you're populating the sport as players, guess what? You're going to, there's going to be opportunities after your playing days. We're not afraid of that. It's just never been something, you know, uh, golf. Tiger Woods did the same thing for golf. Yeah. He did the same thing for golf. And, and, you know, maybe golf obviously had a, a boys type of club to it where yes, for a long time, they pushed away and resisted much like baseball did for the 50 years before Jackie Robinson. And, 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 you know, Whereas I feel like hockey's just kind of been like, hey, we've been here. <laughs> I mean, we 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 want good hockey players. This isn't some, you know, right. if you can get on skates, if you can take the beating and give a beating and and play the sport and know the sport, doors are open. So bravo to hockey, bravo for Mike Greer for being the kind of guy that is gonna be that maybe that trendsetter. Maybe there, maybe Mike Greer is gonna be. Um, that guy that we were talking about in a in a town now he's in San Jose. Maybe now there's going to be a lot more in the Bay Area, young black kids and kids of color that are like, "Ooh, Mike Barrett, dude, we got this guy. He's always talking. It's a popular franchise up there." And so, yeah, this could be a page turner more than just this job and this appointment and this moment in time. I think that we are in a, you know, it's it's funny that you say that because. I think some of the things that we in this country are kind of a, a litmus test would be interesting because if you put, if soccer put money into the inner city, I would be interested to see what would turn up in a decade. Men and women's soccer, by the way, women's soccer could use it far more than men could, but nevertheless, 
The same thing for hockey. A greater investment in baseball. I think if you if you saw these things happen, I think that you would see the those sports begin to lay the groundwork for these industries to start turning out more inclusive athletes. Because I think the problem with reason the reason why hockey doesn't register in this country because we won we feel like it's not our sport and. For something to work in this country, for a sport to hit the next level, for it to do what football has, for it to do what basketball has, why baseball is declining, you have to have a minority. And people, don't, people think this is BS and they don't like it. They think it's racist. You can think of whatever you want. For your sports to enter into the, the stratosphere in what Tiger Woods did for golf, you have to have a minority athlete reach the peak of your sport and be one of your best because the viewing people who watch the sport, the more successful sports in this country, football, basketball, it is a cultural mix. If like NASCAR was peaking at one point, NASCAR was on the verge of passing baseball. If you remember correctly, this was like early, uh, early teen, early, late, early teens, I think. My probably uh, 20, 20, 2006, 2010, somewhere in that. NASCAR, I mean, they're right there. NASCAR was crushing it. And I mean, cr- I sat down and watched a couple NASCAR races. I'm like, what, what's the big deal about this? Because it, it was peaking. It was, it, was, it was on fire. And then it stopped. Because they reached the peak of their audience. You can only get so right. many white people to watch something right. before you need the other cultures to right. mix for you to break through that ceiling. And I think soccer hasn't done that yet in this country. Baseball is severely declining in that, and hockey hasn't done it in this country. And until those three sports figure that that recipe out, we will continue to have the we would continue to have Mike Greer be a story because people who look like Mike Greer don't heavily populate the sport in which that particular sport hockey is very open arms and very welcoming. Yeah. If you can play hockey, man, you know, that's one of those things where if you can play hockey, um, you can play hockey and they've got, they've it's, it's, it has that youth basketball feel at least to the sense where there's traveling teams, there's investment in it. There is join our team, be on our team. And, you know, obviously, a lot of these sports when you're young and you're and you're growing up nowadays, of course, and and for sure, it costs a lot of money. It costs parents a lot of money. And in soccer, you'll see, you know, you're right when you talk about the investment in in in, in inner cities. What you'll see is soccer just is kind of like hockey in the sense that they say, here's our sport, love it or not, but this is what we are. And I think in hockey or in soccer more because, you know, they reach their people of color in, in a lot of inner cities that are um, other ethnic groups. If it's Portuguese, if it's Spanish, it's, yes, the, it's those yes. kids that are already in tune and to it's the sport. Horrible. Yes, because their country, they have someone to look at, right? But when you watch yes. a lot of the, like the youth soccer and those the way those things are organized, you have like, you know, the suburban soccer mom organizations. And then what I just talked about, kind of those um, inner city kind of just uh, 
made up of different groups, whether it's, you know, some some South American or, or European influence, but they're playing against each other in a lot of mm-hmm. senses. It's a lot of well, you know, kids from the suburbs and the soccer mom team that built that traveling team playing against maybe, you know, a collection of some different kids from the other side of the track, so to speak, that um, go out and, and might not have the nicer facilities, but they go in into the park and, and, you know, in certain cities and on dusty, you know, dirt, dirt filled grass, play pickup games, soccer pickup games. You'll see it around here in San Diego. It's a huge in New York city. A lot of major metropolitan cities will have just those kind of inner city pickup league soccer games and there's some really good players. Um, so I think hockey is just like, hey, put the pads on, get the skates on, and we're here. We're we're open for business for any culture. We'll take I a break. We're cool. open for yep. business, but we'll be back. Brown and Lawhead, Mighty 1090 ESPN. Brown and Lawhead here on the Mighty 1090 ESPN. Southern California Mega Market. Monday through Wednesday, we had a short week. We had the shortest of short weeks. Uh, shout out to the 4th right. of July holiday. But we're here. We had a fantastic discussion on Mike Greer being hired as the first black general manager uh, for the San Jose Sharks and what that means for hockey. I know there's a not a big, huge hockey community here, but uh, people love the goals, man. And what that means for other Go goals for other sports and what that looks like going forward and, and, and what other places could do. It was a very good discussion. I would encourage everybody to head over to YouTube or to head over to the iTunes podcast store. And download, like, share, and subscribe to podcasts, whether it be visual, whether or it be audio. So shout out to that. Um, we've got some other things to get to. It, the saga is over in Cleveland. We're gonna break that down. We're gonna get to at some point. We're gonna talk about the- one of the sagas is over. We're gonna. There's still another saga. Same position, different guy. Yeah, well, yeah, one of true. them is over. Uh, we're gonna also get to what's going on with uh, the Padres on the back half of this. Uh, Jason, I, yeah. it's over, man. The first, it's over. The first domino Finally. has fallen, and the what breakup. that, what that, what that domino could mean, could mean something for the next domino. So, for what we're talking about, we're not talking about dominoes. We're talking about Baker Mayfield being traded from the Cleveland Browns to the Carolina Panthers, which still makes no sense to me. The Cleveland Browns are going to pick up ten million dollars in the contract. The uh, the Panthers are going to pay the other eight. And in addition to that, the Browns will get a conditional fifth round pick in 2024. So, Jason, you're a Browns fan. You mm-hmm. rode this roller coaster. How do you feel now that it's over? You know, I got, listen, I, like I've said over the time last year when we uh, first started doing the show together, all football season and, and this kind of all, this all, what happened today was all just started and predicated throughout last season, right? This all kind of started around the time the Odell Beckham stuff started and then the injury came and then missing a couple of games and then coming back and then just kind of really just tanking. Stinking. And, and 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 stinking the, the rest of the way. And so that was a story that kind of built all the way through. Then, you know, right when the season was over, the big shocker was um, the Browns no longer wanted him. And they made the, the pitch and got Deshaun Watson with all the baggage he's brought. So we've got 
all this baggage, added way more baggage, and then how do you get rid of some of this baggage? Well, it, it happened finally today, and um, I don't wish any ill will against Baker Mayfield. I think he could have done a lot of things better to better his situation, but so be it. Um, the Browns front office could have did a whole lot of things better to better the whole situation for both sides. And um, so there's there's blame to go around, but this is a business. Yeah, when you give the eye test and the other kinds of things and you look at this Cleveland now built roster, um, you know, the Browns decided that they were going to do what they were going to do. And I don't I, I don't disagree with it. I'm not sitting here as one of these, you know, 50 some percent of Baker. This is the dumbest thing we've ever done. And, you know, yes, this is the franchise a mess. Could this be a swing and miss? Of course, we've had a million of them. Right. Um, but. I, you know. If you had to ask me, with this team that we have right now, what direction do you want to go? I would say, um, well, you know, depending on how heavy this Watson baggage is going to end up being, uh, I'll, you know, I'll ride with this shot of Watson and seeing if he can blend in with the players he's got. Now, for Baker's sake, hey, look, I, I don't wish him any ill will. I, I hope he does well. I hope he doesn't do well enough to beat us because I'm going to be there on week one. That's the funniest part. My best man in my wedding from Chicago uh, uprooted his family during uh, COVID and moved him to Raleigh, North Carolina. And about two months ago, we planned, dude, why don't I fly out on Thursday night? We'll golf Friday and Saturday around the Raleigh area. And then we get a hotel Saturday night in Charlotte, Sunday night in Charlotte. We go to the game and then I fly out of Charlotte on Monday and we already booked that. That's all booked. I got everything booked. So I'm going to be there. In Carolina, I got another friend, Joe, who lives in Carolina. He's a season ticket holder. Great guy. He's got, you know, all the tailgate hookups set up. So we're going to have a blast. It's going to be awesome. And, hey, best case scenario for Baker, in my opinion, way better than the Seattle scenario. He's at least going to a team that's got a few weapons. McCaffrey's out there. Uh, you know, he's he's got a wide receiver. The O-line's bad. There's going to be a job to compete for, it looks like. But you look at that division and – Breeze is gone. Uh, uh, Ryan's gone. Uh, Brady's one foot out the door. So there's opportunities for this team and this franchise to grow in this division in the next couple of years with where it's at. Because if he goes to Seattle, good luck. You, you're playing three playoff teams twice a year. And, you know, either Bosa or Donald would have murdered that guy by week 10 with the way that looks. So, um, I'm hey, look, I'm hoping that Baker maybe grows a little bit from this. And, uh, you know, I'm not wishing him any ill will, but go Browns. And I can't wait to be there on week one. And I hope Miles Garrett gets his licks in. That's all I can say is, you know, I won't be rooting for Baker Mayfield on week one for sure. I'll be rooting for him to have one of those games he had down the stretch for us in the last year. That's for sure. I, I, I can tell you this, in my opinion, this is not a step up for Baker Mayfield. This is a step backwards. Well, of course. What, what he's never had to contend with in Cleveland was competition. They literally said, this right. is yours. Do the best that you can with it. We will give you all the aid we possibly can. They had some of the best. We'll play you backs. hurt. We'll let you play yes. hurt. That's, that's how much yes. he had the keys to the castle. We, put, we gave you the best running backs money could buy. We put some of the best wide receivers we could on this team. We gave you one of the best young tight ends in the game. Good tight ends. And one of ends, the best. Plural. And one of the most <laughs> solid offensive lines. And you still didn't come through for us. So right. I, 
I think Baker Mayfield is now going into competition with Sam Darnold, a person who people out of college preferred over him. Cleveland mm-hmm. just got won over by the personality of Baker Mayfield. And at the end of the day, what came back to haunt them was the personality of Baker Mayfield. I find it interesting that the guy taken first and the guy taken third in the exact same draft are neither on the team they were originally drafted by, but they also are on the same team in Carolina. I don't know what... Right. I, Trying to back into a job almost. It's almost like whoever wins that job loses. backs into it. Yeah. I, I don't know what the situation is in Carolina. I don't follow them close enough to be able to give you some type of breakdown or if their coach is on the hot seat or whatever the case may be. I know if Christian McCaffrey gets hurt, that team goes in the tank every single year, period. Oh, yeah. If he's healthy, they're great. If they go in the tank, if he gets hurt, they go in the tank. So I – If he's healthy, they got a shot to be decent. If he's hurt, they're in trouble. I've always favored Sam Darnold. He makes too many turnovers over Baker Mayfield. But nevertheless, they really wash out as the same guy. So I don't – this isn't an upgrade for Carolina. I think if Baker Mayfield would have sucked it up and gone to the Texans, he'd had a future there. If he'd have sucked it up and gone to Seattle, he'd have had a future there. I don't. I, I don't. Well, you 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 Houston you that maybe because he he has a ceiling there, but I, I just think Seattle would have been a bad marriage. He would have went to a cold weather city in a nasty division that's much like the one he came out of, a hard hitting. You know, I mean, the Rams put, and the Forty Niners are no align, joke. What you can align yourself with with those two teams is that no one is expecting the Texans or the Seahawks to do anything spectacular. So what he would have the luxury of is whatever I give you makes me look great. When you get to Carolina, like I said, I don't follow them closely, but I know they've had two rough seasons and their owner is one of these Fortune 500 guys who thinks he's smarter than everybody else and just fires the coach. So, yeah. I just think the surrounding environment for him in Carolina gives him a chance to be successful if he can win the job and be the leader with McCaffrey. And, they and that, like I said, that that division isn't that division, which was strong for many years because Breeze had the, the Saints, you know, at the top. And Matt Ryan brought a lot of good years. Sometimes they'd, you know, they'd have a down one. But, boy, he you know, got him to a Super Bowl, the darn near won one. And, you know, obviously what Brady's brought – to uh tampa but you know gronk retired they've still got some questions with some certain things he's a he's still always a foot out the door at that age so i just think the environment as a whole for baker is is maybe better to get out of the gate and if mccaffrey can stay healthy he can give carolina a bit of a boost whereas i think it would be a longer investment in in either of those other two cities um and and look, you know, hey. Uh, but you're saying he day, beats out Sam Darnold. That's what you're saying. Well, I'm saying if he does, we'll see. I mean, this I is going to be. Will. You talk about this is going to be sports talk porn for Colin Coward, isn't it? The, the training, the Carolina training camp. Whoa. I mean, this guy's not. I, I was thinking, I was talking about about that with my buddy. I go, yeah, uh, all the whole training camp this year is just going to be Coward going off on Darnold, and and because uh, I mean. He was the one who thought Darnold was the greatest. Yes, and he loves was the Sam worst. Darnold. And now they've got a. Now you know, he was. You know, and then he was kind of wrong on Baker when he was spouting that because that was the year Baker had a good year and took yeah. the playoffs. And Darnold's and Darnold so now he's got this seesaw of what he's going to be talking about. But anyway, that's going to be a huge story in and itself. 
like you said, just the number one and three picks from the same draft, uh, far gone from the teams that thought that they were going to be the, the answer guys, and yeah. uh, now fighting for a job on a team that's just trying to put something back together post Cam Newton era. Speaking of put things back together, I don't know. I'm new to quote unquote Padre fandom. I'm new to this. Not true to this. I'm new to this. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna. I I don't make. I don't make no bones about it. I don't. I don't hide the fact that I'm new to being a Padre fan. So I don't have the decades and multi multi decade scars that some of y'all got out there. But right. the 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 woe is me of the Padre fan base. The Oh, here we go. The team's about to tank. Base, the average baseball team loses, okay? They lose 70 games. The average, the good teams, okay? The good teams in baseball mm-hmm. lose 70 games. I don't know any team that doesn't drop two games they're not supposed to. That goes for the Yankees, who've been fantastic, fantastic this year. And that goes for the Dodgers, who've been fantastic this year. I don't know teams that do not drop games they're not supposed to. The, the Dodgers just got their hat handed to them by the Rockies less than a week ago. So it happens. They've been beat by the Diamondbacks a couple times in a row this year. It happens. The fact that the Dodgers beat you, more like beat your bullpen when they beat your starters, but the Dodgers beat you, and then the Mariners came in here and basically whooped up on you. Now people are running for the hills. The collapse has begun. Ah, even they were better at this point last year. Ah. Baseball is a long, agonizing, drawn-out season. Padre fans should know this. Two, this is the best team the last three years. This is the best stretch of Padre baseball, regardless of what happened with the collapse last year. This is the best stretch of baseball the Padres have had in decades. Decades. Stop whining. Stop crying about what, living on it like it's day-to-day. Enjoy the team. Keep going to the games. They are hurt. And they're trying to find a way to get Manny back 100% for Tatis to come back and be can be a contributor for Myers to come back and be a contributor. These are big money guys in your lineup that you haven't had in it. Let them figure it out. The bailing on a team that's 47 and 36 is just utterly laughable to me. And I can't take it. Yeah, it's a weird, uh, it's, it's kind of a, you know, maybe it's that thing where, you know, have that's where having a one team in your town is kind of detrimental, you know, when because you have everything now. It's just there's no charge. Everything's invested into the Padres when you're, you know, really San Diego fandom and this is your town and you're a sports fan. I mean, this is this is your team. So you're they're really, I guess, for those, you know, diehard, diehard Padre fans, the one that, you know, have been through it all, even when they've seen you know, much, much worse than this for much, much longer. Um, they, they're under that telescope or microscope, I should say, so much because this is their only team in town. 
And, you know, it's such a long season. Baseball, this isn't football. You can't get down on a 10-game stretch or a 12-game stretch, you know, unless it's turning into a 22 and 24. But, you know, these next 11 are important. These next 11 are important against teams that they have to be well above 500 against. You know, the Giants are teetering on 500. Then you've got Colorado and Arizona, who's, you know, won't lay down to the Padres. We've seen that before, right? Like, you know, I mean, Arizona, Colorado, these teams will go and uh, as, as as maybe not as great as their records are, they 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 always seem to be the types of teams that kind of go out and slug it out with teams like, you know, top teams, whenever, you know, the Dodgers are up top or the San Francisco's up top, they, they don't really lay down. So these are important. They got to go at least eight and three, I think, to, to end these last 11 before the all-star break to kind of just, you know, make a correction there. You can't, here's the thing. You, it, it's one thing to get too far behind the Dodgers. Five it's and another a half. thing. It's another thing to play the kind of baseball that allows the Giants to creep back up and get closer to you. So yeah. it's one thing to see, hey, um, look, the Dodgers are going to have one of these years where we just need to just stay focused and play our kind of baseball and play 600 and change baseball out there and let them play 700 and change baseball. It's it's not letting a team – these four are important because I, I think they've only got – you know, there's only five games that, that uh, separate – the Padres and the Giants. So yeah, the Giants are back ten and a half. The Padres are back five and a half. Yeah, a split doesn't kill you. Obviously, take of losing three or four is not what you want. But boy, oh boy, you cannot get swept by this giant team right now on the you know doorstep of the All Star break. Um, I think because this- you can't be you can't be sitting around figuring out you know going into the second half you know, white knuckle in a one game lead on the giants. If they're playing better baseball at the time, the, the midway point. So this is big. These last 10 or 12, not so much to worry about. I think these next 11 big, big games for the Padres. I think it's very good. I think it's going to be very vital that they win the first game of the series and not because the yes. first game makes, makes, but I think they need that first game to kind of get the energy back, get the goodwill going. Uh, have them have some opportunities to see them get a W in front of the home crowd in what still is a big series. Whenever the Giants come here, whenever the Dodgers yeah. come here, it is a big deal. And you've been the little brother for so long. I mean, I'm talking about the little brother as in the third brother in this family for so long. It's important for them to beat the teams like the Giants, regardless of what their record are, and to beat teams like the Dodgers, regardless of what their record are, because what that means within this division. So I, 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 my issue, and I started this with the fans, and all the fans will chirp back at me and say, oh, you don't know, you wasn't around for this year. Yeah, you're right. I wasn't around for some year 10 years ago or some year 15 years ago. Yeah. I'm here now, and I see what you got now, and I'm on board. And so I say we all rock, rock the same and row in the same direction, or – you know, I'm new, but I'm gonna tell you. Oh, get off the boat! People hate it when I do that. By the way, people hate it when I do that. Well, I, you know, yeah. 
Well, you know, I, I, as a Cleveland fan for many years, right, Cleveland has always usually, even when we don't go and have our great, great teams, we're always on the right side of baseball. We've been a well-run organization for a long time since the early 90s, since we put them that first really good team together that, that, that came up in the 90s. And we've been able to do our homework and, for the most part, put good baseball teams out on the field. Like, this kind of a... You know, this is a, this this year that San Diego fans are having the, the 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 Indians, Cleveland. We had many of those kind of years that just didn't pan out to anything, but just a pretty good year at the end of the year, and it wasn't one of our you know deep playoff runs. So um, you have to just kind of you know uh, yeah look. Musgrove and, and Darvish have to win their starts in this. They they've yeah. got to win those games and those starts and those two that if they're gonna split, that's fine. You know, it's not the end of the world, but they can't do worse than a split or then you start seeing a little bit of cracks. And, you know, I've seen enough of those Indians teams and Cleveland teams over the years that, you know, made up you know, at this point, you know, looking great. And then, you know, you lose to the types of teams or you don't get those wins either ending the all-star break or coming out of the all-star break that you need and you can kind of see it. So this is, I think this is going to be a big tell here, these last 11 and how they come out of the the first, maybe six of the all-star break is really going to, I think, define um, a lot of the, the type of team that this team's going to be uh, the rest of the year and late in the year. Let's hope so, man. Let's hope so. Cause I think last year they learned a lot from what happened. I think this year they've been able to kind of get off the mat. Every time that something's gone wrong with this team, they've managed to figure out a way to answer the bell and keep moving forward. And even without Tatis and even without Myers being out for a large chunk and without the pitching staff kind of having a regular rotation, they're doing this more of a wide rotation thing. So I... And you said said the word manage. They've managed. And I think that's a big key. I think Bob Melvin has been... The big key in a lot of these just, you know, um, you know, kind of holding the boat together a little bit, you know. And and so, you know, with him, I think he's seen it all. He's seen it all. He knows he can he can smell what a team's going through or feel what they're going through at the end of a break or in the beginning of a break or what it looks like in the dog days of August and early September. So well, they're fortunate to have a guy we're, like that. We're breaking. We're breaking. We're breaking. Peace. We'll see you all next week. Peace. Peace.